Welcome to the Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! I've heard so many players say, well, I want to be happy. You want to be happy for a day? Eat a steak. It's that woo-woo! And now, Dan and Ty. Welcome back to the Solid Verbal, boys and girls. Ty Hildebrand here, Dan Rubenstein, right on over there. Solid Verbal at gmail.com. That's the email address. Feel free to find us on Facebook, on FanCred, and of course on the Twitter. Got a bunch of reverbs, Dan. Oh my God. Yeah. What a week of reverbs. We're going to play for you momentarily. Our good friend Taylor, the intern of the Solid Verbal, was mm-hmm. so kind as to put these reverbs together for us here today. Had dozens of them pour in at 408 Verbal 1. We'll get to that momentarily. I'm joined, as always, by my beloved friend and co-host, Dan Rubenstein. Sir, how are you? I'm good. I'm a little bit tired, but I still have a, a good chunk of energy. I was up early to shoot uh, Wake Up College Football for SBNation.com. It's a website, and uh, I'm, I've been looking forward to this show for a solid chunk of hours. Yeah. Uh, I I think I did really well in my picks, <laughs> and I'm sure you're going to confirm that. Just out um, of curiosity, now, I know you yeah. mentioned wake up college football and you know yes. we're an independent entity here but uh, yeah. i do need to check in on the health of your other picks how how are you doing in easy call land i it's funny you should ask ty it's funny you should ask uh rough week week one last week always a tough week to figure out where to go direction wise with your picks it's but, hard it's week one no one but, can gauge week one week two i felt like it was going to be a bounce back week and in a way in a way It confirmed a lot of what I've always said about my picks. Okay. I am now 0-10 against the spread. What? On easy call. 0-10? Each week I pick the five biggest games. And I'm now 0-10. I'm the surest thing in college football picking that there is. You're the reverse jinx is what you are. I'm a mountain tie. I'm that tall tree of spread picking. You take what I don't take, and I am making you money. Oh, and 10. Oh, and 10. I am the surest thing. What were you last season? I was, uh, that's the altar of Dan, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Um, I finished last season picking the biggest five games of each week all season long, essentially right on the 60% nodes, Okay. which is by all accounts, a very successful year. Well, it has been a very difficult two weeks to pick thus far in the games that we have selected here on the Solid Verbal. You are 6-11 and 11 at 35.29%. <laughs> I much prefer 0-10. I am tipping the scales at a perfect 50%, 9-9. and 9. I had a 5-2 and two week this week, which we'll get into here Will you, by the way, introduce me on pick shows as, and we now, uh, like, after we play the sound, the intro to Dan, Ty, I need your pick, whatever. Yep. Can you introduce me as Dan Rubenstein, the surest thing against the spread? I guess the surest thing with the spread. You're the anti-handicapper? I am the, what would be an anti-handy, I don't, whatever it is, I am, I'm a lock myself. You are a lock yourself. (laughs) Yes. All right. Continue, sorry. Anyway. What a week it was here. Let's get started by playing your week two reverbs. Oh. I want to eat four-year-old stale Cheetos off of Brian Van Gorder's goatee right now. Go Irish. This is Andrew in Kentucky. This is Richard in the south of Spain. 
This is Bourbon Stained Ryan calling from Nash, Vegas, Tennessee. This is Vinny from Brooklyn. Hey guys, it's Monty in Cleveland. But I know for sure that Oregon can't hang with power football teams and that they run a gimmick offense. And Marcus Mariota is overrated. And uh, only the most insane of second half that I'm sure didn't happen could have convinced me otherwise. Hi, this is Pat Hayden. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of my new drinking game. Where in the world is Pat Hayden? Another thing, another shout I'd like to give is Oregon looks really scary today. I was wondering if we could get the Mr. Softy theme for Pat Narduzzi's defense. More like Pat Nardunzo. Go Ducks. What a night to get into college football. Michigan, Notre Dame, fantastic. Oregon, even better. Marriott for Heisman. When did the uh, Stanford Cardinals become allergic to the end zone? Has anybody screwed anything up as quickly as Derek Mason has screwed up Vanderbilt? Vanderbilt fans, you guys had a great three-year run with James Franklin. Poaching the Florida Gators can be a stressful experience. That's why TrueCoordinator.com helps SEC coaches overcome their fear of getting fired. Saw Paul Feinbaum, the king of the trolls, in the hotel lobby with Tim Tebow yesterday. Kentucky just won. We're 2-0. We're coming for Florida next week. Watch out, Gators. Oh, Ty, thank you so much for that master stroke of a reverse jinx. Michigan sucks. And I'm just wondering if it's a coincidence that Nussmeyer rhymes with bad hire. Uh, I had a baby girl right before football season, and now after watching these first two Ohio State games with me, kind of concerned that every single word that she's going to learn now is a swear word. Also want to thank the Virginia Tech Hokies for eliminating the Big Ten from the playoff. This game, at the end of the day, means nothing in the grand scheme of life. Go Buckeyes. Ding dong, the Big Ten says, la la la, la 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 la. Quick shout out to David Cobb, 220 yards rushing for the Gophers today. Grounded Town is back in Minnesota. Go Gophers. Quick crooked, solid head up here on that kid. The Texas defense leads me to spooky Mormon hell dream. Oh my god, I almost watched UConn blow it to Stony Brook, but somehow the Huskies, well, they could still blow it. Jeez, it sucks being in the college football wasteland. And I would just like to say that Fordham is the team of New York City because you try getting off the D train at 2 in the morning at Fordham Square. Surely that the Cougars would not go to Reno without Connor Halliday throwing for nearly 400 yards in a winning effort? Wait, what's that? Rutgers is undefeated. The quest for their spot in the playoffs is underway. Never, ever underestimate the power of the fat man or Ralph Friedman. Love you. Whew, there you have it, Dan. A lot of emotion. Dripping. I had to take off my headphones because my headphones were dripping with said emotion. So what's the takeaway from week two? I The first thing, uh, the first thing that I take away is that there are a lot of shaky teams that we didn't expect to be shaky. We saw it in week one. Teams right. like North Carolina, let's mm-hmm. say, struggled. Struggled with their game against Liberty. And then we saw what we thought might be a bounce-back effort from North Carolina, and they struggled again. Yes, they did. Many teams out there did not show that week one to week two improvement. Another one. Correct. UCLA. UCLA almost lost to Memphis, Dan. Mm-hmm. Where was the improvement from week one to week two? I don't see it. 
I didn't see it I mean, the defense got worse. Yeah, so a lot of teams out there that did not make the jump from week one to week two that I expected. That's my right. first takeaway. Ohio State? I would yeah, say that well, they are prime. Didn't get better from week one to week two. Yep. Yeah, I think that's the that's the story right now. There was a lot of misplaced optimism on both of our parts, mainly my part, um, but I think a lot of people as well. Just not to perhaps the extreme in terms of picking that I I was at, but uh, there are there are things still to be encouraged by. Teams did improve. Um, but yeah, in a major way, teams that either appeared to be taking a step forward or looked to take a step forward after a, a down week one, it was not quite the case for a lot of these big time programs. Everybody stinks is what I'm getting at for wow. those playing the home game. We'll make shirts. Um, and secondly, Saturday was the equivalent of the great Chicago fire for the Big Ten. Yes, it was. That's it. You know, we're going to play taps in the background here, Dan. Yeah. We take this through post-production. Mm-hmm. Did I not call this? You were giving me a hard time for giving up on the Big Ten after two weeks, but did I not call this? Your your pessimism was well-placed, especially because um, I, I was texting with a friend about this. It all seemed to happen at the same time. You remember in you watched all of Breaking Bad, right? Yeah. This is a spoiler well, no, alert. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. Wait. I have five to go. You have five to go. So I, I watched most of Breaking Bad. Okay. Well, I won't. Then I won't spoil it for you, even though the show ended like two years ago. Yeah. Um, but it was pretty incredible. And those people that have seen Breaking Bad will probably understand what I'm alluding to near the end of the season. The, um, the discipline and the timing of how well Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State's complete collapses synced up. Hmm. Almost as if, like, there were, like, Jim Delaney's, or not, I guess it wouldn't be Jim Delaney's, it would be Mike Slive's, like, disaster watch. Just, he just pressed a button, was like, oops, me? Did I do what? Yeah. That's what happens when I press that button? Yeah. And uh, just a real big downfall, all, all sort of happening simultaneously. And then the other big story for me was Terry Bowden's hair. Do you have what a chance to see that? It? What his, is going it, on with his hair? It was like a. Upper level store bought queso dip. I saw somebody out on Twitter commented that if you melt it down and sprinkle it on your food, you'll live forever. Yeah, no, there was something phosphorus, luminescent. Um, it was a Doritos Locos. Doritos Locos hair. It's it's one of those shades where like Crayola, when they when Crayola is trying to stay hip and come up with new new colors, new shades for their crayons. Like, they'll be, oh, here's hip neon green, whatever. Terry Bowden will be a a Crayola color that nobody should ever touch. He acquired that color like the kids used to when we were in high school. They'd somehow dye their hair with Kool-Aid. I feel like he did that there. It's... (sighs) Old Man Dye Jobs. First of all, great fantasy football team name. Old Man Dye Jobs? Old Man Dye Jobs. Not the greatest look for a Midwestern mid-level football team. Well, let's get into the actual on-field action, and let's start with Oregon against Michigan State. Let's. Oregon was about a 12-point favorite in this Mm -hmm. one, depending where you look. The final score was Oregon 46, Michigan State 27. Now, this might have been the best showing of the day for the Big Ten, which is saying something because it was a loss. Right. I thought Michigan State looked pretty good for 40 minutes. But it was that last 20 minutes that really did Michigan State in. That's when Oregon scored its 28 unanswered points. Mm -hmm. Obviously, a huge win for Oregon, especially since Michigan State is built a lot like Stanford. 
which we're going to yes. get into here momentarily. But just in general, Dan, what were your thoughts on this game since Oregon's your team? Thoughts on this game were uneven first half for the Ducks as Mariota came out looking very, very strong, uh, throwing a couple touchdowns, or at least a single touchdown, but they just hitting receivers all over the seam, really taking advantage of Oregon's speed, of which I think a lot of people knew Michigan State couldn't match defensively, right. especially with what they lost last year, highlighted by Darquez Denard. But given Michigan State's strength of their front seven and how sound they are, especially stopping the run, um, it made sense that Michigan State was able to bottle up Oregon's running game for the most part. Mariota did see some success through the air. Uh, quite impressed with Connor Cook in the middle part of this game, mostly skewed towards that second quarter, beginning of the third quarter. Um, the surprise to me, and it was a pleasant one, was the adjustments that Oregon made at halftime defensively. Don Pelham, this is his first, obviously, real big test as a first-year defensive coordinator. And Mark Helfrich's first big, huge win. As I mean, the, the UCLA win was nice last year, but that's a win over a Sun Bowl team. You know, and looking at what Oregon did in that second half, pulling Dior Mathis, who was, I believe, starting at cornerback, who was essentially atrocious in the first half. Pulling him in favor of both Troy Hill and Chris Cisse, younger players, uh, I think was huge. The way that the defensive front sort of bottled up Michigan State's run game forced a lot of passing downs, third and eights, third and nines, third and elevens, although they gave up a couple of dumb you know, rushing three and giving up 16 on third and 15, those kind of plays. Um, essentially, they, they bent a little, but really they limited even the bending and got better and better as the game went on and you saw a tired Michigan State team yeah. on both ends the offensively and defensively the legs the lungs they were all gone and you saw that as soon as Oregon was able to start running the ball getting corners there were lapses there were mental lapses in the in, on the role of a uh, or from the uh, the part of Michigan State's secondary as just Oregon seems to always have this endless supply of ridiculous speed that's what they become that's what they've come to be known by and eventually, that speed got behind safeties, behind outside linebackers, miscommunications, guys were running free. And Mariota used his legs a little bit more in the second half, which he seemed a little bit tentative to do in the first half. And Oregon completely outcoached, completely outschemed, completely wore down Michigan State, which a lot of people, as you mentioned, were pointing to Michigan State's Stanford-esque way that they were built. The difference between Stanford, the difference between the difference between Stanford and Michigan State is I think Stanford's built more to beat a team like Oregon, to tackle in space, uh, to deal with speed, to deal with spread teams, whereas Michigan State's built to beat Big Ten teams, yeah. which is they're built to crowd the box and hope for the best with one-on-one -on -one matchups on the outside, which Oregon can beat more than anybody in the Big Ten. So huge progress. Like that's, that's the biggest win Oregon has had in a long, long, long time. Well, and I thought Marcus Mariota looked very much in control for his yeah. part. I mean, he looked great. I was really encouraged by what we saw out of him. Michigan State's still going to have a really good season. This is still a really good football team. And you might have heard on our show, you might have heard on game day, you might have heard on even the pregame before Michigan State, Oregon. People were talking about this as being an early bellwether for the playoff committee. Yeah, this was a game they could look at an easy way for them to determine. All right. Which of the high highs in each of these conferences, if you will, is better than the other. And Oregon obviously got the better of Michigan State, a nice win for them. And it didn't get much better for the Big Ten. Virginia no. Tech, 35, Ohio State, 
21. Let's I start would argue with, it got a lot worse for the Big well, Ten it, from there. <laughs> it didn't get much better. Right. Let's start with the good here, all right? Virginia Tech was good against the run, good on third downs, you know, appears to have a capable passing quarterback now in Michael Brewer. Even though the numbers weren't eye-popping, he was still a better passer than yeah, Logan minus, Thomas. Yeah, minus the picks, uh, Michael Brewer looks more promising in the long term, however Absolutely. long that is. Yeah. Tech is a solid team, Dan. They've got a tasty schedule moving forward. Probably going to win the Coastal Division. It's either them or Pitt at this point, because I'm selling wholesale. Listen, if you're at home, yeah. I know I said I'm really high on UNC this year. Mm-hmm. I am selling all of that stock first thing Monday morning. Sell, opening sell, bell, sell. Opening bell, yeah. I am selling every ounce of UNC stock that I have this season. Yeah. I'm done. So Virginia Tech's a decent team. The bad in this game, Ohio State's offense. Oh, my God. You mentioned that there wasn't much improvement from week one to week two. You could argue it regressed. Oh, I don't even need. I'm just going to tell you it regressed. I don't, we don't need to have an argument. It definitely regressed. JT Barrett is eventually going to be a pretty good quarterback. Uh, I'm confident of that. He's not there yet. Also, he doesn't have the supporting cast. You look at his numbers. Nine of 29 on passing. Yeah was the team's leading rusher, Dan, mm-hmm. which is not something I expected. I By watched the whole th- he game. He three times more carries than the next leading rusher. I watched the whole game waiting for someone else to break out, and it just yeah. didn't happen. So to put all of this game on JT Barrett is both fair and unfair. If you're, if you're a skill position player, a top skill position player from Ohio, Florida, Texas, wherever Urban Meyer recruits from, Pennsylvania, why the hell would you go to Ohio State right now? Unless you're like, well, Carlos Hyde. Other than that, I, Dontre Wilson, two carries for negative five yards. I mean, Michael Thomas had a nice game at a nice long touchdown, but you're not getting the, like, they're not preparing quarterbacks the way they need to be. And obviously, Braxton Miller would have a much better season and would have much more success distributing the ball. But at this point, the adjustments were not there. The preparation was not there. This was a team that was flat confused. Do you remember the conversations we had in the build-up to the season? How can I forget? One of the topics that came up time and time again when we talked about Ohio State and the Big Ten, is it a situation where as Braxton Miller goes, so does Ohio State? Yeah. The answer was a resounding yes. Now, Braxton Miller gets hurt. They're scrambling. JT Barrett, they've got to bring him up to speed. You would think logically that that would then not be the case, that they would try to rely more on the other pieces to move this program forward. Get the ball out of his hands. Correct. That simply didn't happen. Nope. It didn't happen at all. They're still relying all on their quarterback. And look, it's going to be interesting to see now how that team matches up against others in the Big Ten. You'd have to assume that they're going to get better. I think they will. They still have a ton of talent sure. on both sides of the ball. That but offensive line is bad, though. They're yeah. playing Michigan State. I believe Ohio State plays Michigan State this season. That's not going to be good. Not the best. That not offensive line isn't good. The adjustments from Tom Herman weren't great. JT Barrett carrying the ball, what, 25 times? Totally unacceptable. They look so confused in that fourth quarter. Bud Foster, granted, a very, very good defensive coordinator, but this wasn't the most experienced front seven, I don't believe, coming back. I could be wrong. Um, They were coming at JT Barrett in that offensive line from angle after angle. And the big thing with JT Barrett, too, is when he was flush from the pocket, it was like receivers didn't exist. Yep. He was not looking downfield. He was not going through progressions. He was scrambling for his life and hoping, hoping to get out of bounds for four yards. 
well, 35-21 your final. Virginia Tech with a huge win going to the horseshoe at night, knocking off the Buckeyes again right. by 14 points. And then the other one at night, really the capper for Big Ten fans, Notre Dame 31, Michigan nil. All hail the power of the reverse jinx, Dan. I did it. If you had, I mean, I have no idea how much that was an actual reverse jinx on your part because you're just always typically pretty down on Notre Dame. I did it. I did it. If I had told you, well, here, here are the big numbers for Notre Dame for me. Everett Colson looks really, really good. Really good. And the big number in that game for Notre Dame to me was zero. The number of turnovers that Notre Dame committed in a big game against a fairly experienced Michigan defense. Zero turnovers. They, they, they converted, what, about half of their third downs, whatever the case may be. Notre Dame didn't run the ball with any sort of efficiency. Um, they just, and even Michigan moved the ball a little bit. The fact was that Michigan turned the ball over a ton. Notre Dame took advantage of opportunities. Notre Dame was essentially the anti-Stanford yesterday. Yeah. They they just, oh, it's third and four? Let's get seven yards. Great. It's We're inside the red zone? Let's let's score a touchdown more often than we don't. And, well, and look, you mentioned it. You hit the nail on the head. Everett Golson was the best player on the field. Not definitely. a doubt in my mind. The second best player on the field was the Notre Dame defense. Yeah. Which was aggressive and at long last was able to hold down an opposing Michigan quarterback, Devin Gardner. He didn't do much of anything, nor did Derrick Henry or any other Michigan running back. They really right. were able to bottle up Michigan when they had to. Michigan, as you said, was able to move the ball a little, but they turned it over and they never really threatened. You know, like I felt like I was watching an Alabama game right. to the degree that Notre Dame just sort of boat raced Michigan. They got yeah. up and then gradually put separation between them. You could very easily have watched that game and looked up at like 10 p.m. and said, wait, 31 nothing? When did this happen? Yeah, it was a very quiet 31 nothing the way Notre Dame went about it. But Michigan just never threatened. There were never any swings in momentum. Uh, ND was just able to lay on the gas and put a fair amount of distance, 31 points worth, between them and the Wolverines. This is what I took from. I took two big things from this game. Um, well, just in the, within the context of this game, Michigan has a wide receiver. I'm going to list you the rest of what Michigan has. Yep. Okay, I have I have ended my list of what Michigan Can you say definitely that? You has. Broke up a little bit. Can I'm you say sorry. That one more time. One more time. I'm going to list what Michigan definitely has after watching the game last night. Okay, go ahead. They have a wide receiver. Yep. And then, you catch all that? I, you know what? You talked very quickly, but I think okay, I caught it. Okay, sure. I listed too much there. Yep. Here's what Notre Dame has that Michigan does not have. A head coach. A plan. A team. A chance at beating everybody on their schedule aside from Florida State, most likely. Right? I can't argue with that. I mean, it was it was very encouraging to see Everett Golson. It was quite encouraging with what Notre Dame lost on defense to see what they were able to do just in stifling. We're not going to call Michigan a decent team, but in stifling a team with talent in places. But with what we saw with Stanford, with what we saw with North Carolina, ASU is a good team, but Notre Dame appears to be in the driver's position game there. Louisville's essentially starting over this season, but should be decent enough. And USC is good, but ultimately USC is beatable with Notre Dame's talent and with Notre Dame's quarterback and with Notre Dame's ability to beat a decent team. 
I am, what does Michigan do from here? Well, it's interesting because hiring Doug Nussmeyer, the savior of the offense, sure. that was supposed to be a big deal. Where was the offense last night, Dan? Because this isn't like the Notre Dame defense we saw when Manti Teo right. was still roaming the field. This is a defense still trying to find its way. Now, they're quick side to side, and they were able to bottle up Devin Gardner. Yeah. But this isn't that shutdown defense that was winning games for Notre Dame a few years no. ago. This says a lot about Brady Hoke, unfortunately. Yeah. A lot of this now needs to fall back on him because if Michigan's not able to get the ship going in the right direction, mm-hmm. he's been able to recruit. He's been able to attract top-end coordinators to come in there and run things. When does it fall on Brady Hoke? I'm going to Okay, so I'm going to look at their immediate September and October schedule, Michigan. They could lose to Utah. Utah yeah. doesn't have much in the way of defense, but they can put they can put points on the board. They drop they just dropped 60 on Fresno. We we we're probably adjusting our thoughts on Fresno at the moment. But Utah can score. Um Rutgers can move the ball a little bit. And it's at Rutgers. This is where we're at with Michigan. Where we're like, "Well, Rutgers Rutgers. I can't see him losing to Rutgers. I can't either, but like they went to Wazoo. Can um, we stop and pause for a second? Rutgers has Ralph Friedgen. Yep. And they have this here's Gary Nova. Gary Nova. One of the tweets that we've received a couple times now. Communication from Rutgers fans like, hey, we've got a plan this year. Yes. It looks like it looks better. We didn't expect this. So, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. They but don't have a winning roster, but like there is a semblance of cohesion. Rutgers, Rutgers is going to give people a game in the big Sure. Time. Yeah, I was wrong about Rutgers. Penn State I was not thrilled at all with, but... That game that game was so boring. Yeah. Unwatchable at worst, boring at best. I mean, that's 13-7, 13-9, Michigan-Penn State written all over it. Uh, and then yeah. Michigan State to round out October, which is going to be... Unless there's some sort of crazy shift. I don't know what that shift is. Unless Michigan's offensive line finds some sort of group of replacement offensive linemen for them uh it's not gonna be pretty so the takeaway then is that the big Ten's in trouble because yeah the conference went oh and three in its biggest games of the weekend this was their weekend this was pac-12 big 10 mark schlebaugh from espn wrote a piece that's on espn.com today which buries the big Ten's playoff chances and it's unfortunate we're in week two but this is going to have a bearing on things yeah uh and if you look around the other games in the conference stand nebraska struggled with mcneese state mm-hmm. they needed amir abdullah and his heroics oh to my god win this one and mcneese state 24. a decent team in the context of the fcs and what they do mcneese state is fine they went 10 and 3 last season they beat usf they have players i think daniel sams is now on mcneese state he's a cowboy but come on at northwestern or excuse me at nebraska come on needed amir abdul to save the day um, you mentioned the Penn State game. Penn State won 21-3. Yeah. Boring game. The defense looked pretty good for Penn State. Seemed more apparent than ever that Penn State's just going to go with whatever Christian Hackenberg can do because they didn't run the ball at all in this game. And then, of course, there was Terry Bowden's hair, which we've already discussed. We don't need to talk more about that. Right. But, uh, Penn State won. Wisconsin, Maryland, Rutgers, Illinois won. Purdue yeah, needed a furious sort of comeback, though. Westlawn had a nice game for Illinois. Yeah. Iowa was lucky to win against Ugly as Ball hell. State. Yep. So it was not a great day for the Big Ten, not doing much in the way of restoring that reputation on Saturday. Let's move on. Yeah, please. USC 13, Stanford 10, Dan. 
I thought we were going to get away from the ugliness tie. Stanford, by the way, lost at home to USC. At yeah. home to USC. David Shaw in this game. I'm mm-hmm. trying to just like put words around how risk averse he was in this game. And the best I could come up with was, you know how people are always afraid of David Shaw going to the NFL? Yeah. I'd say there's a greater chance that there's an insurance company out there that's going to poach him for his services on the risk management front. Yeah, that's bad when you're even too conservative for the NFL. Good God. That David Shaw in the red zone. First of all, what was the, the story with with Stanford all summer long and the, the not all, all not like the main story, but walking away from that Rose Bowl thinking he's just going to keep second and one, third and one, fourth and one, keep letting his team get stonewalled uncreatively on dives. Like it's, it's okay to pull that off against Oregon and Nick Aliotti who can't figure you out, but everybody else can probably figure out a dive, especially with a good defense, which USC has this year. Extremely uncreative, extremely averse to putting his team in any sort of creative position to succeed. And that's, too bad because Kevin Hogan's pretty decent. The running backs are pretty decent. Ty Montgomery's very good. Yeah, I'm intrigued awesome. by Kajust and Hooper on the outside. Um, but this team, I mean, it was at, at some point he had every single drive late in the game for Stanford had gone inside the USC 30 for 10 points. He missed a short, or he didn't miss, but his kicker missed a short field goal and he punted one possession from the USC 29, one possession from the USC 32. Think about that. As a, as a two-time Pac-12 champion, he has so little faith in his offense or his own ability to call plays to put that position in a team to succeed near the goal line, punting from the 29 and the 32. Yeah, and at least one of those two times, it was a touchback. So it was either a 9 or a 12-yard net on the punt. Before turning the ball over to USC, it was incredible to me to watch this chain of events. I mean, he's got good players. It's putting I uh, I, it was such a weird game. Let's talk about the game as a whole and not just sort of bash Stanford, because it was a very nice, albeit extraordinarily ugly and strange win for USC to get on the road. Um, The big takeaway about USC is sometimes Sark just needs his pappy. He just needs his pop pop. To come down on the field and settle so things. So was, what was this story? Because Pat Hayden ends up down on the field. They were interviewing him. There were all sorts of tweets flying around. Of course, he is an impartial observer, an impartial member, mind you, right. of this college football playoff selection committee. What are going to be the consequences for said actions? Are there going to be any? I have no idea. I, it, was so, it was so odd to me to watch... An AD, and maybe this happens more than we ever see. Maybe it's just that the cameras just captured this sort of moment for the first time. But I feel like if all the refs are gathered and talking to somebody at a certain point on the field, cameras generally will capture that sort of activity when there's a delay. And to see him trying to clarify and argue and sort of manage, uh, I almost said Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian being reprimanded and warned after Hayes Pollard was targeted and eventually ejected on a kick return. It was, it felt so abnormal. And so I don't know what, I don't think there will be consequences of this because his primary job, you're not paid to be on the selection committee. His primary job is to advocate on behalf of his athletic department and teams. 
But that just seemed so out of the norm and strange to see Sarkeesian request the athletic director on a football call, a penalty. Yeah. So who knows? Pat Hayden found himself in the thick of the conversation. Two takeaways for me. The first is something you briefly mentioned, but Ty Montgomery, he really is Stanford's only hope at explosiveness. That's what was missing. It wasn't so much that they don't have the players. It wasn't so much that they weren't able to execute. It was that they just, they couldn't get anything going. They didn't have any game changing moment. Right. Ty Montgomery. No game changing moments. No, they didn't have any of those yesterday. And that was a big part of the reason why they found themselves punting inside the USC 32 yard line two times. The second is that I no more Mr. Softy music for USC. This was a hard fought win. It wasn't. Yeah, especially with Leonard Williams and how beat up he was even before the game started. It wasn't the prettiest of wins, but the line did enough to open up holes for Buck Allen. Buck Allen had a really nice game. Absolutely. Plenty of times when this team had its back to the wall in yesterday's game and they were still able to grind it out 13 to 10 again they're not going to put this one in the great highlight reels of usc football but a win's a win's a win and you go on the road you beat stanford that's a pretty big deal for steve sarkeesian who now appears to have somewhat of stanford's number he's played them progressively tighter over the last three seasons now he beat them in washington a few years ago and yeah it was close last year sure for the sake of usc and for the sake of power at the top of the pac-12 i mean they have to stay healthy they're still so thin everywhere cody kessler looked good not super confident in whatever's behind him uh buck allen looked very good uh not super confident in justin davis and his ability to hold on to the ball he went eight for 20 and usc receivers are talented but in a big game, we're shut down outside of Nelson Aguilar, who came up big in a lot of big spots. And one of the things I mentioned last week was Fresno State couldn't tackle on those screens, on bubble screens, horizontal screens, whatever, to receivers. And guys like Juju Smith, the true freshman, had a lot of yards after the catch, simply running down the sideline and avoiding tackles. Juju Smith caught one ball for negative two yards. So USC is going to have to keep evolving that offense to get guys like Juju Smith, Adoree Jackson, Farmer, guys with a ton of speed, uh, the ability to extend plays, but not against teams that are pretty sound defensively. So uh, curious to see how that works out, but have been pleasantly surprised by the play of USC's offensive line thus far, which has been a weakness these past couple seasons. They've got, they're bringing in a lot of new faces and uh, they're performing admirably in, in tough spots, like going on the road to, to Stanford. Speaking of Mr. Softy Dan, yes. let's talk a little bit about UCLA football, shall we? Yeah. UCLA 42, Memphis 35. You know, I'd like to go back the morning after mm-hmm. and watch the video highlights that ESPN puts together on its site. Yeah. For some of the bigger games, you can find them. Allow me for one second to repeat the opening two sentences from that UCLA Memphis highlight. You Love ready? It. <clears throat> Quote, Jim Mora's UCLA Bruins hosting the Memphis Tigers. This was a good game. What? When you're leading a highlight with those two sentences Mm -hmm. and UCLA is playing the Memphis Tigers, those should never be the first two sentences. Not in a million years. What the hell is going on, Dan? I will say 
Okay. I don't know if this is in defense of Memphis or in defense of UCLA. Memphis's defense hasn't been bad. They went 3-9 and nine last year, but they had a very good run defense last year and defended the pass all right. This is, these are things I looked at going into this game, trying to figure out how this game could be close. Um, UCLA, I mean, they have all sorts of reasons to beat up on a team like Memphis. They're at the point now. Moore has been there long enough where he should have talent in a number of places, especially considering the recruiting rankings that the Bruins have amassed over his time there. They have a supposed Heisman candidate at quarterback. They don't have a ton in the way of offensive skill talent, but Thomas Duarte is pretty good. Peyton's pretty good. Uh, I I was told Devin Lucian was pretty good. Miles Jack, I think he came in for a little bit. He didn't really run the ball that much, but... Offensively, UCLA is a they're 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 a seven and five offense, eight and four offense. They're a Sun Bowl offense with a you know high it seemed higher ceiling defense. I don't know. I wouldn't say Rose Bowl defense, but <laughs> they're a Sun Bowl offense with a Holiday Bowl defense. Yeah, that's um, exactly what you want to hear. It's uh it's disappointing because the the hopes were so f- high for UCLA. I wasn't. I don't think I had hope. Too many things for the Bruins at at a level. Ex- excuse me, Lee Corso's national champion, UCLA That's Bruins. Right. That's right. Um, but to to give up thirty five to Memphis, to to give it up, you know, almost seven yards per carry to their lead running back, Paxton Lynch, their quarterback, who we've un- criminally under discussed on the solid verbal. Sure. Um, Memphis moved the ball against this vaunted UCLA defense. I don't know what what it is that UCLA fans can feel positive at this point after Virginia and Memphis underwhelming performances behind them. I don't know what what you hang your hat on if you're a Bruin fan. Well, Brett Hundley did have a nice game yes, he for did. almost 400 yards, and he's still very capable. He's going to go highly in the draft, I'm sure of it. But Ugh. I think it's time that we start playing some Mr. Softy music for UCLA. Absolutely. This is a soft UCLA team. Absolutely it is. Elsewhere in the Pac-12, Washington 59, Eastern Washington 52? Yeah, stop scheduling Eastern Washington, people. Stop scheduling North Dakota State. Stop scheduling Eastern Washington. These are good teams. I don't care what level they're on. but This is another one that goes in the the what-the-hell category. Now, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. Eastern Washington, the Eagles, they've been pretty good. Bo Baldwin, yeah. a dark horse name that our friend East Coast Elliot was trying to get at Penn State <laughs> before James Franklin came about. Yeah. Bo Baldwin, a good coach. Eastern yeah. Washington, a good team. Should not be within seven points of Washington. They it just shouldn't be. I want to say Washington beat them by three a couple years ago under Sark. They're just good. Washington should be at the point by now. This is a situation like UCLA and Memphis where you're at least a couple touchdowns better than a team like this. But they're not. Because You're Washington not. is still learning systems, still learning schemes. The players are, and coaches are still sort of getting to know each other. Everybody had sort of thought, well, Jeff Lindquist started the first game. Siler Miles was the, pr- the presumed starter, and he had a nice enough game. Um, and they ran the ball relatively well. But defensively, Washington, unable to adjust to, uh, to a huge passing attack. They spread, you know, they spread the ball around, Eastern Washington does. And Washington, just in terms of adjustments, not there. It was... I forget the the Eastern Washington quarterback's name. I think it's Adams. Vernon uh, Adams. Vernon Jr. Adams. Yeah, um, he threw for everything and throwing the ball forty six times, putting up almost five hundred yards, and not throwing a pick. That's impressive as hell. So, I'm not gonna fully crap on Washington because Eastern Washington's pretty decent. They I don't believe they went three and nine like Memphis did last year. So, uh, 
Washington needs to be better, especially with Chris Peterson's track record of preparing teams to win these games and having them ready to win week in and week out, no matter who their team, his team is playing. And you mentioned Vernon Adams Jr. Dan, mm-hmm. 475 yards, seven touchdowns mm-hmm. in a losing effort. Yeah. Ooh. I, I imagine Marcus Mariota is going to have a lot of trouble if Vernon Adams Jr. and the Eastern Washington, whatever they are, Eagles, uh, yeah. are able to move the ball consistently throughout the game. Arizona 26, UTSA, a great story. Yes. 23. This was a weird game. Weird eight-point spread on Thursday night. The only bullet point here is that a new Solomon looked decidedly pedestrian in this football game. A lot less yeah. impressive than he did in opening week. UNLV, Our friend yeah. Michael Felder from Bleacher Report went on Twitter, suggested that Solomon was more guessing than actually reading right. defenses, and that came back to haunt him a little bit in this one. Also, a big game for Nick Wilson, mm-hmm. the young running back for Arizona who had 174 yards in yeah. the win. Caleb Jones um, was pretty good. Big play Caleb Jones. Yep. Transferred from Texas a couple of years ago, but yeah, uh, and UTSA is pretty decent, especially if they're opening opening week win against yeah. uh, against Houston and how much they turned Houston over. A typical team that does not turn the ball over. Um, yeah, Arizona's in good position. I, that, they don't feel all that different from where they've been the past couple of seasons. They'll beat somebody good. They'll lose to somebody stupid, and they'll make a bowl game. At yep. this point, I think that's their ceiling. But the fact that a new Solomon is there and is young, I think it is a, is a promising sign with how much talent he's surrounded by and what we think is a defense that will get better. Very quickly, I'll run through some of the other games in the Pac-12. Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, they all win. Cal wins and actually yeah. looks pretty good in the process. Yes, They're now 2-0. and A nice story for Sonny Dykes. Oregon State won in Hawaii. However, be on notice, world. Hawaii is feisty. Yeah. Hawaii is feisty. You're going to have to play them 60 minutes if you want to win. They scored 23 points in the fourth quarter to at least make the final score look interesting. That's more than you could say for Washington State, which lost to Nevada 24-13. Connor Halliday, 389, a touchdown and two picks in a losing effort of his own, not Mm -hmm. to be outdone. Wazoo needed the win here. This is one of those games that... You look at the schedule. You're trying to find the wins. You want to root for Mike Leach. This is one that they needed to have in the win column and ultimately did not get, again, a 11-point loss to Nevada. Not a good one. Yeah, it's it's a wazoo loss. I, I mean, you, you hope for something better just because there's likable elements of that team, but... Nevada outplayed them. Nevada out Nevada outcoached them. They spread the ball enough well. They, they ran the ball. They did things that Washington State could not do. And a lot of that has to do with Washington State on defense, and a lot of it has to do with consistency and depth at, at still this point. But uh, it's, uh, it's a disappointment again. It's a major disappointment, I would say, if you're, if you're a Wazoo fan, because the schedule doesn't get all that much better being in the Pac-12 North. Let's move to the Big 12. Exhibition week in Texas. Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Kansas, West Virginia, Texas Tech. Although Texas Tech struggled, they still won. All these teams won. J.W. Walsh got hurt, didn't matter. They have something called Dax Garman, who came in and threw for 244 and two touchdowns. Right, two X's. Right. Baylor hung 70 on an FCS school. (gasps) They did so with their backup quarterback, so good on them. Yeah. Who did they courageously beat this week, Baylor? (laughs) I don't even have Somebody huge. Oh, Northwestern State. Congrats, Baylor. Two games we will talk about very quickly. Yeah. K-State 32, Iowa State 28. I love Tyler Lockett so much. 
This game went so well for Iowa State in the early goings that our friend Ryan Nanny tweeted out that one of the bright spots for the Cyclones was the fact that they were all wearing shoes, mm -hmm. Dan. <laughs> it was one of those games for the Cyclones. Yeah, congratulations. And then, and then they turned it on and nearly beat K-State. Yeah, the difficulty with Iowa State is just they had no answer for Jake Waters at all in that fourth quarter. He was running, he was throwing with, with a lot of abandon and doing well. Um, and Tyler Lockett, at this point, other than Bryce Petty, is there a better player in the Big 12 than Tyler Lockett? He's really good, Dan. I don't know. I, he is he is I a haven't lizard. Seen enough, I haven't seen enough Big 12 football he is, to classify yet, but he's really good. He is a lizard. His tongue just grabs flies out of the air, and they just happen to be footballs with Kansas State. He is obscenely good. And it's a shame Kansas State probably isn't seen by more people. You know, they're playing games at noon Eastern on Fox Sports 1, whatever it is. I can't say enough good things about Tyler Lockett. Love watching him play. Love Kansas State when they're rolling. They can't fall behind like this to Iowa State. That's not a, a top 25 performance. All right. And then the big one. You knew we had to talk about our double barrel shotgun lock of the millennium. Yes. BYU 41, Texas 7. Mm -hmm. To say we got this wrong would be an understatement, Dan. Yep. However, we, you know, we weren't just wrong. We were comically wrong. Yes, we were. And here at the Solid Verbal, we can at least work. This is with this being is entertainment. This is, we're not writing a newspaper da database here. Taysom Hill is the biggest enemy of the state of Texas since Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. You are doing your research. God dang. Taysom Hill once again. The undoing for the Longhorns, yeah. 99 yards, three touchdowns on the ground. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Texas turns the ball over four times. Oops. And when they weren't turning it over, they couldn't move the damn thing, Dan. Well, it's okay, because Tyrone Swoop said he got comfortable, and then it was fun. And Texas lost 41-7, and he was not that good at all, but he had fun, so that's good. It was 6-0 to nil at halftime, mm -hmm. the first half of this game was painfully boring it was to real watch. bad did you watch this game it was awful. on and off i mean what why would why would you so all right let's put this game in its proper place yeah. great win for byu byu clearly has texas's number at this point here's an interesting question by the way who's who's beating byu this season Gosh, I don't know. I don't have their schedule. In I front have their of me. schedule in front of me. They have Utah State. They have Boise State. I feel like they end with like Cal. But when you look at that th at their schedule, they have set them. It is a good time to be BYU and have not a ton of people ahead of you in a year where there's a playoff and already one conference who has pretty much a long, long shot, a Power Five conference that is a long, long shot. I'm looking at BYU's schedule. I'm seeing a Houston team that got killed in Week One, a Virginia team that should be okay, but they're not BYU. Utah State that got embarrassed in Week One to a an okay Tennessee team, UCF which lost to Penn State, which now looks even worse after Week Two. Uh, Nevada with a nice win over Wazoo, but by no means are they some sort of juggernaut. Boise State who looked atrocious in Week One, Middle Tennessee, UNLV, Savannah State, and Cal. There's not a single team ahead of them that is ranked or even could be ranked, essentially. I mean, it's it's tough to see. BYU so could shoot themselves in the foot. They're going to Boise State. They're going to Cal. But, I mean, it's a good time to be a Cougar, both so in terms of BYU and otherwise. So what I think you're saying is that with the Big Ten essentially dropping out of the college football playoff in mm -hmm. 2014, 
we're just going to give that spot to BYU? Is I'm not cool saying we're it? giving it to BYU. I'm okay. saying it's a good time to be, if you're going to be undefeated, which granted, it's week two, this is ridiculous talk, but yeah. if you're going to be undefeated and not in a Power 5 conference, it's not the worst thing in the world to have one of those conferences by the second week of the season look pretty atrocious on a national stage. Now, would I take an undefeated BYU ahead of a one-loss Oklahoma or a one-loss Baylor? Absolutely not. No. Would I take an undefeated BYU over a 10-2 Michigan State? I don't know. I, d- I don't think you can do that, Dan. I don't know. But I hear what you're saying. And look, we're going to learn more about the Big 12. And by the way, if Texas is the most talented team, which now might be a question, that BYU is going to face, and BYU beats them down, Kill they, them. they more than quintuple their score. Like we've decided, like we've said before, it's not just beating teams that are highlights of your schedule if you're outside of the Power Five. It's dominating and leaving no doubt and embarrassing on the road, no less. That's a big deal. BYU killed Texas in this game, and it's interesting now to figure out who takes the blame for this on the Texas side. Now, we know about the offensive line and the Mm -hmm. suspensions. We know about David Ash. There were obviously variables at play. And as we move forward now with the Texas season, as Mm -hmm. guys maybe get healthy, as guys come back from suspension, who knows? I would expect this Texas team to improve and be a little bit more sound under Charlie Strong than it was in the last two to three seasons under Mac Brown. Still, this is not going to go over well in Austin, not in the first year of a new coach, Dan. There's no way. I'm going to posit something. I think the past few years, we were under the impression like, wow, Texas is really down. They're not playing well at all. This is disappointing, consider the talent level that they have and the coaching success that some of their coaches have had. Is it possible that Texas isn't just down? Texas is just bad players. I mean, their coaches are fine, and some of their players might be fine, but they're so thin, and even the, the players that are playing may have been overinflated in terms of recruiting rankings where they're they're just a three-star team they're they you know they're a, a higher star program because of what they've done in the past and the, the attention that they get but it the program might not just be down this just might be texas i don't know they're, i miss texas i miss texas football i mean we're gonna have a lot of fun oh, with this, mind I, you. that's that's i mean a separate point i'm just saying in terms of the, the product that texas puts on the field they're they're playing just their players are just fine there's not like it's not a matter of players underperforming or being undercoached they they have similar talent to teams that are equally six and six and seven and five i think they've screwed up this program for more than for more years than you think well i don't know i don't know and it's easy to throw mac brown under the bus blame him for everything right and i think charlie strong will do a much better job evaluating and stocking this team than mac brown did since I, losing I the national so championship too. but I, I think so too i mean mac brown towards the end had colt mccoy what's the difference between texas and tcu right now other than the fact that tcu plays better defense not much in terms of the talent level no no not at all and look back to this point mac brown had colt mccoy when he didn't have colt mccoy what happened yeah. Not a hell of a lot, Dan. Texas should have three five-star quarterbacks on their roster at all times. Not a hell of a lot. So it may be a situation where Strong is in there now with Max players. Who knows? Oh, God. And Texas plays UCLA next week? God, I'm so glad I'm going to be on the road and probably not watching a lot of football. Oh, That's the Mr. Softy Bowl right there. Gross. Unbelievable. So Texas gets absolutely drubbed mm-hmm. at home at night trying to avenge their loss last season to BYU. Just didn't happen. Yeah. 
All right, let's close out then. Nothing happened in the SEC other than Vandy's awful. Right, I was just going to close out very quickly talking about the SEC and the ACC. Yeah. In the SEC, South Carolina did not cover the spread against ECU. However, the defense played better. And Mike Davis got going on the ground. South Carolina Mm -hmm. plays Georgia next week, which is going to be one of the games. Surely we will preview when we do our Wednesday show. It might be the only game we discuss on Wednesday show. It's a really weak slate again. Go see Cats again. God, what? What is with you and Have you seen Cats? Never seen Cats. Go see Wicked. What else is in there? Wicked is know. good. There's a bunch, there's a bunch the that's Lion on Broadway. King. Go to the Lion King. Sure. Cats. Um, Alabama wins 41 nothing over FAU. The only two bullet points here is that Blake Sims was really good, and we also got to see Jacob Coker, mm-hmm. who looked pretty good is in his own Jake right. Is he Jake Coker? Is that, have we gotten like an official? I like Jacob better. I like it, too, but I saw it listed as Jake, so maybe it's wrong. I don't know. I'm going Jacob, and I don't care. All right. Uh, also, Amari Cooper, speaking of lizards, <laughs> caught 13 passes for 189 and a touchdown, granted against FAU, but still, anytime you catch 13 balls, that's a pretty nice day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Bama plays Southern Miss next week and another barn burner before it opens up its sec schedule with the florida gators dan assuming there's no lightning in the area right that game will occur florida finally was able to get off the schneid had a big win all of who the points who they play uh as as our friend ryan nanny mentioned they played a michigan school a michigan school a noted EMU? football state they, the they played yeah eastern michigan uh um, 65 nil yeah good for them yeah Missouri won. Yep. 49 24. It was a weird four point line here on the road because Toledo's a pretty good team. Yeah. A lot of people took Toledo outright. This was really the definition of a stay away game beforehand if you were a gambler. Missouri gave up a lot of offense, but was able to get the job done ultimately winning this game again. 49 to 24. Elsewhere, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Arkansas, A&M, LSU, Auburn. Basically, everyone outside Vanderbilt looked pretty good and won. Ty, I don't mean to interrupt you here. Can you give me a breaking news sound real quick? Michigan still hasn't scored. No? Michigan still, I am seeing, they still have not scored against Notre Dame. Continue. Who wins between Michigan and Vanderbilt right now? Uh, Michigan probably, but it's, it's not the prettiest. I guess, well, let's see. No, they'll probably beat up on Vandy. Vandy got beat up by Temple pretty badly. Vandy Vandy thus far has been a total disaster under Derek Mason. Yep. Ten points in two games against Temple and Ole Miss. If you were, I'm going to ask you this question. If you were a five-star quarterback right yep. now, Ty Hildenbrandt, uh, Concrete Kids, if I remember. Yep, that's right. That's right. Would you rather, for football reasons only, Attend the University of Texas or the University of Michigan? Oh, man. If I'm a quarterback, I got to go to Texas because Charlie Strong at least has developed a guy like a Teddy Bridgewater who was drafted pretty highly. Right. So I think the answer is easily Texas. Okay. It, it, It seems like they're going to be struggling for quite some time. And obviously, Texas lifestyle wise. Who's the last pro quarterback to come out of Michigan? Um, Denard Robinson's playing running back. Right. Henny, I guess. You got to go back to Henny. Mallet technically was there for a little bit. Oh, man. I mean, it's slim pickings, man. It's. You got to go to how Texas. Do you, how do you recruit a quarterback to Michigan at this point? You just have to say, no, trust us. It's going to get better. Like over and over again. What a life. I don't know. Devin Gardner did not look good in this game no. at all. 
whatever they're feeding him was not working. No. Um, all right. So where do we leave? Oh, how about this one? Before we move on to the ACC, Leonard Fournette struck the Heisman pose in his first career touchdown. Might want to pump the brakes a little bit over there, Big Cat. I would. I don't see. Here's the thing. I don't mind even if it being his first touchdown. I don't mind a funny pose or like drawing attention to himself. I'm great with that. Do something better than the Heisman pose. Do a dance. Do some sort of creative celebration. If you're going to get penalized, whatever. Who cares? It's football. I don't... The Heisman pose is just... It's kind of boring at this point. Okay. It was It was a long time ago that Desmond Howard did it, and I'm ready for something new. I'm ready for... If Leonard Fournette really wants to, to draw some attention to himself, I would say go with, go with something unique. Go with something original. Elsewhere in college football, let's yes. close out with the ACC... Clemson, Louisville, Virginia, Miami, Duke, Georgia Tech, they all win somewhat comfortably. Yep. Pitt beat Boston College. Nice on win on the Friday road. Night. Yeah. Yep. 30 to 20. James Conner, big game. North Carolina struggles for the second straight week, this time against San Diego State. I'm telling you right now, sell all your stock. Wow. Get off the train now. Wake Forest dominates Gardner Webb. Oh, my God. Wake and, U- Wake and excuse me, I almost said UNC again. Yeah. Wake and NC State are just awful. Oh, yeah. They are awful. They're going to be losing most of their games from here on out. NC State should have lost two weeks in a row. You know who else is sneaky awful? Texas Tech. Yeah, Texas Tech. They needed Barely. a last-second touchdown to beat UTEP. Barely edging out UTEP. There are and a lot of bad teams. That's my point. There are a lot of bad teams this year. Yeah. So, basically, the correlation of there being a lot of bad teams and me going 0-10 going thus far an easy call, it kind of makes sense. It all comes full circle, I am Dan. the most dependable. I am the surest thing in college football picking. So, no big deal. Ty, drop some drum and fife on me, please. Oh, it's so smooth. It's intoxicating. James Madison, somehow, somehow, on the road, takes down Lehigh. Last second drive. I'm impressed. It was a killer. But you only get that chance once against Lehigh. Lehigh will get them next time. Dayton, the Flyers. This is a true story. Ordered a Dayton Flyers shirt. It arrived yesterday just in time to see Dayton take down Georgetown. An embarrassment. An embarrassment to the Pat League. Georgetown moves to 0-2. Holy Cross, your squad. What is Morgan State? Are they the Racers? It feels uh, like that's I, what I they're. No, they're they the Bears. The, Somebody else the is Freemans. the Racers. Yeah. yeah, they're the Bears. But uh, a nice close win from the, the Crusaders of Holy Cross. Really showing what's what in the Pat League. Villanova. <sighs> this one hurt. This was a stake through the heart. Much more than the double-barrel Texas lock. Much more than Oregon's first half. Much more than going 0-5, 0-10, whatever it is. Villanova driving a stake through my heart. 50-6 to six win over the Rams of Fordham, New York's true football team. Boom shakalaka. <sighs> They're going to be fighting. They're going to be fighting up there, by the way, for space in the Empire State It's getting State ugly. Building. It's getting Between ugly, Rutgers and Fordham? It's back and forth. It's a civil war up here. Uh, yeah. Sacred Heart takes down Lafayette. Again, you get one shot. You get nine out of ten times is Lafayette, but Sacred Heart steals one from the Leopards of Lafayette. And Bucknell, the Bison. If there's one thing we can count on at this point yeah. with the Pat League, possibly the most up and down roller coaster, most entertaining conference in all of college athletics. Possibly better than the Big Ten. I, I, who's arguing that at this point? Bucknell right. takes down Marist on the road. They yep. travel to Marist and tell the Marist tiger ears row road row tigers mountain 
goats. The mountain um, cats. Mountain cats. What's what? Shutting them out. Shutting them down. 22 nothing. Bucknell Bison. What, what say you? Yeah. Well, good one for <laughs> basically anyone not in the Pat League, yeah. let's say. <laughs> it, was, it went about as well A for the Patriot showing. League as it did the Big Ten. Well, look, this was fun. How was your Saturday? My Saturday was good. Because you're on the road. I'm on the road now, so get this. You want to talk about Pontiac game-changing performances. <laughs> Absolutely. We really should get Pontiac on board as a sponsor if we're going to keep shouting them out. Naturally, the internet goes down. Right. Renting a beach house. I'm with fiance Kate's family. Mm-hmm. Having a wonderful time here. An undisclosed beach right. along the Atlantic Ocean. Internet goes down. First thought in my mind is not, hey, I'm on vacation, no big deal. Right. First thought in my mind is, uh, I need to stream 18 games tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What can we do about this? So, as luck would have it, the router, the cable modem, everything's located in an adjoining house. Through some phone calls, through some sheer luck, was able to locate where these devices were located. Right. Had to go in there, had to reset them. Ended up talking to the gentleman and his family who are currently renting. It turns out, uh, big college football fan, big podcast fan. I think we've got a new listener. Yes. Yep. Was able to stream all the games and more. All throughout the day and night yesterday. I'm not going to disclose where you are, but have you had the fries I told you to get yet? Have not had them what yet. Are you I just even walked by them today. With I'm going to have them. Don't worry. I'll what, have them. What's your go-to dipping sauce for fries? Usually just ketchup. Right. Not going to lie. Right. I know you don't like the squiggly uh, sugar paste, but I'm not a big fan. Yeah, I'm a ketchup right. guy. So it's going well. It's going well. Good. What should I have for lunch today? I'm really hungry. I don't know, but I'm going to go eat. What are you having? I don't know. Whatever's not nailed down. Are you, do you have like a fridge full of food or you go out and get no, food? No, it's full fridge. Yeah, we've got the full fridge thing going on here. And it's, is it warm down there? You getting some sun? Actually, it is horribly overcast today. Sun's out in New York. It's not bad. No. You getting tan? You getting that sweet olive caramel skin going? Yes. Well, yesterday the sun was out, so so were the guns, but. Yeah, of course. Today it's overcast and it's you go probably. You in the water? Went in the water yesterday. What are you today doing in the water? the sea is angry. The sea's angry today. Oh. What are you doing yeah. in the water? Uh, you know, just sort of dipping in. A yeah, just bit. riding some. Are there waves? No, there weren't yesterday. There mm. are today. You throw a I'd football probably get around sucked or anything? out to sea. Yeah, I threw a little football out. Okay. Uh, out there yesterday, yeah. You go, do Good you go times. in? You get the hair wet? Got the hair wet yesterday. Okay, because yeah. your hair is. You've got a great head of hair. You, you got to get that uh, thing. Got to douse it with the salt water. Okay. It's good for it. Yeah. Good. Good. Good to know. All right. I don't know if I have any other questions for you and your, your beach jaunt. Yeah, I'm hungry. So let's go eat. Yeah. For that guy over there, Mr. Dan Rubenstein, I will talk to you on Wednesday, sir. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I can't wait. I'm going to get so tie. many picks wrong this Wednesday. Can't wait for it. Yeah. For myself, Ty, here in, uh, well, parts unknown. Yeah. Thanks again for tuning into the Solid Verbal. Please email us, solidverbal at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, FanCred, and, of course, on Twitter. And don't forget to call us at 408Verbal1. Thanks again. Catch you all in a few days. In the meantime, stay solid. Peace.